Good morning. It is a joy to be with you, God's people, this morning and to open God's word together. So please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. Ephesians 5, 1 through 14. And I've entitled this message, Walking and Talking in the Light. Walking and Talking in the Light. Because in this passage, God is getting really practical and specific about how he wants his beloved children to walk and talk in the world. And if you've been with us throughout our study of Ephesians, you will be familiar with the way the book is divided. The first three chapters focus on the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then the last three chapters unpack how that good news of what God has done should shape and change the way we live. And so throughout all these practical instructions that we're looking at in chapters four, five, and six, Paul continues to ground everything he is saying in the saving activity of Jesus Christ. And our passage today is no exception. So let's hear God's word of grace to us today from Ephesians 5, 1 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners." For you were once darkness, but now, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. So don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true and right and good. And I pray for grace for all of us to hear your words of life to us this morning. Oh God, break through the darkness of our hearts and shine the light of Christ on us. I pray that through your spirit's power, we would grow in imitating you. Help us to be more like you in the way we live and talk as a result of our time together this morning. So be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In approaching this text this morning, I want to ask and answer two main questions. First, how should God's dearly loved children live? And second, why should they live like that? How should God's dearly loved children live? And then why should we live that way? So first, let's look at how God's dearly loved children should live. Look with me at verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Well, as many of you know, recently we have brought two beautiful little girls into our family through safe families. And one of the things that has been so fun for me to see is how my three children love and care for these sweet little babies. But as I've watched my kids care for these girls, what I've noticed is that they are, they are doing and saying the things my wife does and says when she cares for these little girls. They have been watching what Jordan does and says, and they have been imitating her in their love and care for these sweet little twins. And it's been beautiful to see. And this is how children learn and grow, isn't it? They imitate their parents, right? Parents, our kids are always watching us and learning from us, whether we like it or not. And this is what God wants his children to do as well. He wants us to, to become more and more like him, to, to imitate him in the way we live and act and speak. However, notice the last half of verse one. Does it say be imitators of God in order to become dearly loved children? No, it says be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And here we see the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. We do not earn God's love and acceptance of us through what we do, because that would be impossible for us, right? Our sin has made such a mess of things that we could never be good enough to become God's children on our own. However, thankfully, God has not left us in our sin and misery. Instead, as Ephesians 1.5 says, God predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for you are saved, you are brought into God's family, adopted into his family by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. So this is the beautiful, life-changing truth of the gospel. Though we were helpless in our sin, God in remarkable grace forgave our sin and brought us into his family. We are now his beloved children, not because what we have done, but exclusively because of what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. So do you see how this completely changes the game? If we believe we have to obey in order to earn God's love and acceptance, then our relationship with God will not be characterized by love, but by fear and guilt. We will constantly be afraid that we haven't done enough and, and that we just aren't good enough. And this will lead to greater and greater shame and frustration. And instead of being drawn to God, we grow more and more embittered toward God. And as our relationship with God deteriorates, sin then becomes more and more attractive to us as a way to deal with our ever-increasing sense of guilt and shame. And so this downward cycle goes. And the Apostle Paul will have none of this, though. Instead, he lays before his people the heart-melting love of God for them. He says, you are dearly loved children. 
That is who you are. God has brought you into his family and set his eternal love upon you. And so, as dearly loved children of God, imitate your father. But what does imitating God look like? Well, look at verse 2. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. God is love. And so to imitate God is to love as he has loved us. And how has God loved us? Well, we see God's love most clearly displayed in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Christ gave himself for us. Christ's love is is a self-giving, sacrificial love. Christ held nothing back and even laid down his very life for us. And Christ's love is driven by, by a passionate commitment to do good to us, his people. He loved us and gave himself for us. And so this self-giving, sacrificial love is what we are called to imitate in our relationships with others. And so it should come as no surprise to us then what Paul says next in verse 3. If our lives are to be characterized by self-giving, sacrificial love for others, then it makes sense that sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. That's because these sins are the exact opposite of self-giving, sacrificial love. They are self-serving and others exploiting. So let's think first about sexual immorality. God created and designed sex to be the physical expression of giving our whole selves to another in marriage. It's such a profound union that the Bible speaks of it as two becoming one flesh. So there there is a beauty and a power and an awesomeness to sex. And so in creating sex to be enjoyed in the loving context of marital commitment, God has built into his creation a compelling picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a husband and wife give all of themselves to each other in marriage, they are displaying the passionate, joyful, and loving commitment God has for his people. So in the gospel, we see that Christ did not hold anything back from us, but gave all of himself to us. And he calls us as his people to give all of ourselves to him in return. And it is to this remarkable gospel reality that sex within marriage points. However, to remove sex from its covenant commitment in marriage, this whole self giving of yourself to another until death do us part, turns sex, even consensual sex, into a lie. As Tim Keller says, in having sex with someone outside of marriage, you're asking someone to do with your body what you're not doing with your life. You're saying, let's be physically vulnerable to each other, but not give each other whole life vulnerability. And this is why sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is anti-gospel. It tells a false gospel of a savior who withholds some of himself from us and who is okay with us doing the same to him. That is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ gave all all of himself to us in self-giving, sacrificial love. 
And so to remove sex from its God-ordained context in marriage is to turn it into something that is self-serving instead of self-giving. And this is the exact opposite of how God's dearly loved children are to live and love. We are to follow the example of our Savior who loved us and gave all of himself to us. And we are to have nothing to do with sexual immorality or impurity. And this is why greed has no place in the Christian life either. Do you see the connections with these? Greed is being consumed with money and possessions and always wanting more and more. It's being unfocused on what I can get from myself and giving no thought to the needs of others. So just like sexual immorality, greed is anti-gospel since it runs contrary to the self-giving love of God for us in Christ. So instead of living to love and serve others, the greedy live only for themselves. And what all of these sins have in common is a selfish disregard for God and others. And so Paul commands that they should not even be heard of among you. Paul says this this type of behavior is not proper for saints. Paul's point is that this is not how God's children should act. To pursue these sins is to do the exact opposite of imitating our loving heavenly father. However, Paul's not done yet. It's not just our walk, what we do, but also our talk that God wants his dearly loved children to pay attention to. Look at verse four. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. So not only should God's children not practice sexual immorality, they shouldn't even talk about it or joke about it. There is to be no place in our vocabulary for promoting or making light of the immorality that runs so contrary to who our loving Heavenly Father is. This type of language is not suitable for God's dearly loved children. So what about you this morning? What does your humor consist of? When you're joking around with your friends, is your speech, is your humor appropriate for a child of God? God is certainly not against humor. He created it and he delights in it when it's used faithfully to bring joy and laughter to others. However, what God is against is perverted humor that makes light of things that God hates. So where do your conversations with friends or coworkers usually end up going? Do you find yourself speaking about things that do not promote truth and beauty, but instead are foolish and obscene. Our words matter to our loving Heavenly Father. What we joke about and laugh about matters to God. And this is because laughter has a way of desensitizing us to sin, doesn't it? When we joke about sin, we are making light of something that is not a light matter. Our words not only reveal what is in our hearts, but they also begin to shape our behavior as well. Immoral speech is a gateway drug to immoral actions. And so we must rid this foolish speech from our lips. However, since our words flow out of our hearts, what is needed is for our hearts to change. 
And that is why Paul says what he does at the end of verse four. Look again at verse four. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable for God's dearly loved children. But what is suitable? Giving thanks. You see, thanksgiving flows out of a heart that is celebrating and rejoicing in the goodness and grace of God. So instead of speaking in sinful and perverse ways, our speech should overflow with gratitude to God. And this will have a transforming effect, not only on our speech, what we say, but on our actions as well. Think about it. Sexual immorality and greed want us to focus on what we don't have and how much better our lives could be if, if we had that person or if we had that thing. However, gratitude is the exact opposite. Gratitude focuses on all that God has done for us. He gives thanks and praise to God for his many blessings, and it rests happy and content in God and his good plan for our lives. Listen, you cannot be giving thanks to God and pursuing sexual immorality and greed at the same time. They are antithetical to each other. So heed Paul's counsel here. Put off the vulgar speech and crude joking that poison your soul and make thanksgiving a regular part of your day. Commit to begin each day with thanking God for a specific blessing that you enjoy as his dearly loved child. And if you need help getting started, look back over Ephesians 1 through 3 and pay attention to all the wonderful spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ and then let your mouth overflow with thanksgiving to God. Well, we began by asking the question, how should God's dearly loved children live? We have seen that God's children should imitate their heavenly father by living lives of self-giving, sacrificial love toward others. And this means having nothing to do with sexual immorality or greed or perverted speech, but instead to be giving thanks to God. And so now we come to our second big question. Why should God's dearly loved children live this way? Why should we live this way? In verses 5 through 14, Paul will provide three compelling reasons for why God's children should live this way. Reason number one, the unrepentant practice of sexual immorality and greed will lead to God's judgment. The unrepentant practice of sexual immorality and greed will lead to God's judgment. Look at verse 5. For no and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Don't miss this this morning. Paul is being very clear about this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is serious stuff. Eternal life and eternal death hang in the balance. But let me be very clear on this. Paul is not talking about someone who struggles 
with sexual immorality and greed, but who recognizes it as sin, as something that displeases his heavenly father and seeks to repent of it and turn from it through faith in Christ. There are many, many Christians who still struggle doing and saying immoral and greedy things from time to time. And I know my own heart struggles in all of these ways too. So this is why it is such good news that Jesus was perfect in our place and then willingly died to pay for all of our sins. Our acceptance before God is not based on what we have done or will do or not do, but on the finished and perfect work of Christ. Thus, there is always forgiveness and grace for those who confess their sins of immorality and greed and through faith in Jesus Christ, seek to live lives of self-giving, sacrificial love toward others. So the Christian who sins yet is repentant And it is not who Paul is talking about in this verse. Paul is talking about those, though, who do not care about pleasing God, but live lives only to please themselves. Notice how Paul calls this person an idolater, someone who worships and lives for a false god. To pursue sexual immorality and greed is to demonstrate that sex and money have become the functional gods in your life. And the Bible calls this idolatry. It's when you seek to find your joy, your peace, your comfort, your satisfaction, your worth in something or someone other than God. And this is what the sexually immoral and greedy do. They give their love and their allegiance to sex and money instead of to God. And what a tragic, tragic mistake this is. For Paul says that to live in this way is to forfeit your inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. It's to give up eternal pleasures for the fleeting pleasure of sin. Instead of living with eternity in mind, the sexually immoral and greedy live for the moment, for the here and now pleasures of this world and give no thought to what incredible joy and happiness they are passing up. But what is this joy and happiness they are giving up? Paul calls it an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And according to the Bible, this kingdom is a kingdom of perfect peace of perfect joy, of perfect happiness, where everything is right and good and nothing is ever sad or bad. It's a description of the perfect world God will create when he brings his heavenly kingdom to earth at the return of Christ. When Christ establishes his kingdom on the earth, everything, and I mean everything, that is wrong and broken and messed up about this world will be completely undone. The entire cosmos will be beautifully and wonderfully redeemed and made whole. And every day in God's eternal kingdom will only get better and better than the one before. This, this is the beautiful inheritance God has for his dearly loved children. And this This is what the sexually immoral and greedy are trading for the fleeting, short-lived pleasures and security 
that sex and money can provide. However, it gets even more sobering than that. To pursue sexual immorality and greed is not only to forfeit your inheritance in God's eternal kingdom of joy, but it is to put oneself on a direct collision course with God's wrath. Look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you. Please, let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Oh, do not be deceived into thinking that you can get away with these things. Hear, hear God's word of warning to you today. To continue to live for yourself and pursue a life of sexual immorality and greed is to guarantee that you will face the full fury of God's wrath and judgment. Instead of entering into an eternity of joy and happiness in the kingdom of God, you will enter into an eternity of misery, of pain, and of torment in hell forever and ever, where every day is worse than the one before. So I am begging you, I am pleading with you this morning, please don't let that be you. Don't be deceived by those who say that God's word isn't really clear on this. Don't be deceived by those who think God doesn't think these things are that big of a deal. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. To give yourself to any form of sexual expression outside of marriage between a man and a woman is to bring eternal disaster upon yourself. To live for money And to give in to your greedy desires for more and more and more is to place yourselves in the crosshairs of God's wrath. So I'm begging you, don't do that. Don't be deceived into thinking that judgment isn't coming. Heed God's loving and gracious warning to you today. Turn, turn from your wicked ways and ask God to forgive you for your sins. And God is so eager, he's so willing and so able to forgive any who come to him for grace. So if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to pray silently to God right now. Tell God that you are sorry for the ways that you have lived contrary to his will and ask him to please forgive you. And trust that because of Jesus Christ's self-giving, sacrificial death on the cross, that God will forgive all of your sins, all of them, every single last one of them. And he will make you his dearly loved son or daughter today. So today, instead of facing God's eternal wrath and judgment, you will now have a glorious inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. If you are here today and you have done that, please come and find me after the service. I would love to talk with you and help you learn more about the goodness and grace of this God you've come to believe in. And for those of us who are God's dearly loved children today, I want to encourage you to heed Paul's warning in verse seven. Paul tells us, therefore, do not become their partners. Do not, dearly loved child of God, do not become 
their partners. What Paul is saying is don't participate with unbelieving friends in their acts of sexual immorality and greed. Don't joke with them about it and don't practice these things yourself. Don't get pulled back into living like you're not a dearly loved child of God. Instead, imitate your loving Heavenly Father through self-giving, sacrificial love toward others. So that's reason number one. We should imitate God and walk in love because the unrepentant practice of sexual immorality and greed will lead to God's judgment. Here's reason number two. To pursue a life of sexual immorality and sin is inconsistent with who you are. It's inconsistent with who you are. And I love this reason. I think there's so much gospel hope and joy in it. Look at verse eight. Look at verse eight. Let's just let our hearts soak in this. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Paul says, you were once darkness, but now, but now something's different. Something's changed. You are light in the Lord. And notice that it doesn't say you lived in darkness and now you live in the light. It says you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So what Paul is saying is that something radical has happened to you. When God's grace gets a hold of you, it actually changes who you are. You go from being darkness to being light, from being dead in your trespasses and sins to being made alive to God in Christ. Your very nature, who you are, has changed as a result of God's gracious intervention into your life. You are no longer darkness. You are light in the Lord. You have been united with Christ. And through your union with him, you have been made a new creation. So just like darkness and light are incompatible, so too sexual immorality and greed are completely incompatible with our new existence in Christ. So pay attention to Paul's gospel logic here. Look again at verse eight. For you were once darkness, that's who you were, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And here we're seeing the beauty and wonder of the gospel again, aren't we? The Bible never says do in order to be. It says you are, so now go do. You are light in the Lord, so now walk as children of light. So this means we are not to put off sexual immorality and greed in order to become children of light, but because we already are children of light. God's grace has made a dramatic change in who we are. And now we are being called to live consistent with who we are now in Christ. So what does it look like to walk in the light? Well, Paul explains in verses 9 through 10. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. So to pursue goodness is to pursue being generous and helpful to others. Goodness seeks another's well-being and flourishing. It seeks to do good to those around us. In other words, it's the exact opposite of greedy self-interest. Righteousness is living in right ways before God <clears throat> and seeking to obey and honor him in all that you do. And it's the exact opposite of sexual immorality and impurity, which give no thought to what is right and what pleases God. 
And walking and talking in the truth means living and speaking in ways that are true and consistent with who we are in Christ. It means that perverted speech and crude joking have no place on the lips of the children of light, but rather thanksgiving. And I love how one commentator summarizes this list. He writes this, the fruit of light is the loving generosity of Christ's goodness, the willing obedience of Christ's righteousness, and a delight in the honesty of Christ's truth. And so Paul encourages us to pursue these qualities and to test or to discern everything by them so that we can then do what is pleasing to the Lord. As God's dearly loved children, we want to always be growing in our ability to test and discern what what is good, what is righteous, what is true. I want to know these things. I want to live in these things. And as we do that, this will enable us to live lives that please our Heavenly Father as we seek to imitate Him in all that we say and do. So reason number one for why we should imitate God and walk in love is because the unrepentant practice of sexual immorality and greed will lead to God's judgment. Reason number two is that to pursue a life of sexual immorality and sin is inconsistent with who you are. You are now light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. And now reason number three. Reason number three. We should live as God's children of light because doing so could save those around you. Doing so could save those around you. Look at verses 11 through 14. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So instead of participating in these sinful practices, we are to expose them. Through our lives and our words, we are to expose the fruitlessness of the deeds of darkness. And this is not to be done in in an arrogant, judgmental way, but with hearts of love and compassion for those who are still lost in darkness. As we walk in the light, we are to let our lives of, of goodness, of righteousness and truth provide a stark contrast to the darkness of the world. So instead of living for ourselves and joining in with the sinful practices and speech of the world, we as God's dearly loved children are to be different. We are to show the world a different way to live and to talk. And for some, they will hate the way the light exposes them and they will continue to live in darkness. But for others, but for others, the light of Christ will shine on them through our lives. And instead of being repulsed by the light, their hearts will be attracted to the light and their story will now become, I once was darkness, but now I am light in the Lord. Well, we began this morning by looking at how God's dearly loved children are to live. We saw that we are to imitate God through self-giving, sacrificial love for others and have nothing to do with sexual immorality and greed. And then we saw three reasons why we should live this way. First, 
because the unrepentant practice of sexual immorality and greed will lead to God's judgment. And second, a life of sexual immorality and greed is inconsistent with who you are in Christ. You are light in the Lord. And lastly, walking as a child of light could save those around you. As we pursue goodness, righteousness, and truth, Christ will shine his transforming light through us and call people from darkness into light. So New Covenant Bible Church, don't forget who you are. You are God's dearly loved children. So let's imitate our Father and walk and talk as children of light. Let's pray together.